Hi, this is Steve Roost and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week we give you the best news, views and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians. The companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to the very first Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. My name is Steve Roost and every week we'll be bringing you the best guests and interviews with the people shaping the health technology landscape in the UK and beyond. I'm a CEO and founder in the health tech space. I have nearly 20 years of experience in scaling venture-backed companies across the world and I am passionate about the people and companies who are changing the world. To keep up with who we're talking to on the show, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at, at Health Tech Hour, and make sure you definitely follow UK Health Radio, which is at UK Health Radio. As an introduction to my first guest, my, my current company where I'm CEO, Vital Sign Solutions, has developed the digital platform PocDoc, which allows anyone with a smartphone to give themselves a blood test, get the results, get an assessment for a range of major diseases, all within minutes of taking the test. Our first tests are focused on cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes, but we have designed the platform to be able to digitize any rapid test, which means that we can use PocDoc to scale mass rapid testing for major diseases anywhere in the world. And this brings me nicely onto my first guest, my first ever guest actually on the Health Tech Hour, which is the incredible unstoppable force that is Bridget Bard, CEO and founder of Bioshore. Now, Bioshore are a world-leading health tech company. They are UK soup to nuts, as they say, and they are at the cutting edge of developing diagnostic tests that allow people to self-test for major diseases. Now, we can come on to exactly what they're doing, but Bioshore are the world's first developer of an HIV self-test, and they will be the world's first developer of a COVID-19 self-test, both antibody and antigen. And that, that will really be a game changer. At PocDoc, we've been lucky enough to work with Bridget and her team for, for well, quite a few months now, helping scale COVID-19 rapid testing, and it's been an absolute pleasure and quite a huge success. Um, Bridget is one of the most inspiring people that I know, and also, more importantly, as a guest on a live radio show, is never shy of an opinion or two. So, Bridget, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, Steve. I'm so excited to be here, and I'm absolutely honoured to be your first guest. Thank you. I know. First guest. So how, how are the, um, the current restrictions kind of dealing with you? Are you guys, you guys are still working, still, still at it? What's, what's, what's happening? Yeah, I mean, our facilities here, obviously, we're in tier four, as are most of the workforce. So we are, we're running on a skeleton team here now. I think everyone's Christmas, we're amongst the millions of us whose Christmas has been thrown into disarray. But um, yeah, I think you just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other, haven't we at the moment? Just keep cracking on. So um, this is the first show. So I'm going to try and stick to the format of the show as best as possible, seeing as it's the first show. Um, So that's three parts. So the first part is kind of an origins. So how did you get to where you are? The second part is really around all of the world-changing things that Bioshore are doing right now. And then the third part is what the future holds for Bioshore. And then also we try and kick around a few topics of the day. Now, 
I think it's going to be hard to avoid COVID, <laughs> <laughs> but we will we'll do our best. There's definitely a couple of other things that I've got to throw in the mix, <clears throat> but yes. So um, yeah, well, let's let's get going, shall we? So um, how did you get started in the world of work? Because I know that you didn't wake up one day and just start BioSure. So what? Where where did you get your your kind of start? No, I mean, my my former businesses were all kind of involved in fast moving consumer goods. So I've got a healthy experience in uh, retail goods, in marketing, in branding, uh, bringing new products to market. Um, but really, Bioshore um, was founded on the, the, the delivery mechanism that we use for our HIV self-test. We didn't actually invent that. That was invented by somebody I know who's incredibly clever. Um, um, and uh, for me, in my naivety, um, understanding self-testing in the principles of pregnancy testing, um, but looking for diseases, um, it was just a no-brainer. When the opportunity came um, for us to take a licensing right on the barrel delivery, um, yeah, self-testing, why wouldn't you? And I have to say the journey has been far from straightforward. But I've learned a lot and I'm privileged, yeah, to, to have had, had this journey to date. So like before you got into Bioshore and healthcare and that kind of thing, what, what, what was your view of healthcare and health tech? Was it something that you, you had thought about before or was it just really opportunistic through the, the person that you knew and it sort of kind of came together? What? I think I think it was quite opportunistic. Obviously, as a consumer, um, everything I, I talk about with with pregnancy testing, I always try and bring bring back. Um, sorry, with self testing, I try and bring back to pregnancy testing because everybody understands the principle behind that. Um, so, as a consumer, as a user, yes, I I had a vested interest. Um, yeah, the, the the realms of, of regulations and how difficult the, this arena is to um, be in was I was completely naive of that fact. So that was yeah, a good thing. <laughs> we can we can sort some more stories about that one for sure. Yeah. The, so, but let me just see if I can kind of understand it. So, the person you know comes to you sort of out the blue, saying I've 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 come up with a way to self test. Now, at this time, was that was self testing even a thing? Um, at all or what was it like what, what was the kind of the landscape like it was certainly not with HIV um, self-testing so um, the first there, there had been a global moratorium on self-testing for HIV since the early 90s for very obvious reasons um, but as the technology matured and as treatments became available um, self-testing for HIV kind of emerged onto the landscape. So in 2012, the US was the first country to allow um, self-testing for HIV. So the, the mantle was kind of picked up in the UK and we were part of the initial kind of lobbying um, groups. So eventually in 2014, um, the law was changed and self-tests uh, for HIV were allowed to be marketed or approved marketed and sold so we were kind of on our way at that point 
Okay. And back in the 90s, when did, were there actually self-tests available, but they weren't very accurate, therefore the moratorium or what sort of happened? Yeah, I mean, I think there was potentially a sort of a black market, but certainly no approved tests at the time. Everything was obviously lab-based and lateral flow technology, uh, which is the type of technology that we and many, many others use, um, was in its in its infancy, really based, you know, primarily it was developed for pregnancy testing, so... Okay. Mm. And so but the someone coming to you with a with a barrel which is the kind of the I guess the outside of the device is still kind of a long way from actually where you ended up by launching it. So why, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a big step, right? Because really the yeah. barrel is just a sort of a plastic tube. It's it's a lovely plastic tube. Don't get well, again, um, partly naivety. So I have to say the plastic tube is really a bit more than that. It's it's just genius um, in its sort of proprietary technology of, of how simple it is to use. But through my journey of starting Bioshore and traveling around the world, which I did up until beginning of March this year, um, we started working and I was engaged with lots of lateral flow device manufacturers um, all around the world and we took some distribution rights and we started working with the NHS and then we kind of specialised in sexual health because that was a real area of interest and of growth. So um, through working with the NHS and working with trusts all across the country is really how we, we we found our feet very firmly in the HIV space. Okay. And how much more complicated is it to test for HIV than for other sexual health um, issues or diseases? Well, I mean, HIV testing is, is very mature. Um, now, I think all, all um, types of sexual health um, tests, you know, all have their variations for, you know, how, how they perform. I mean, our, our real kind of unique point and one of the difficulties is that the sample size we work with is only two and a half microliters so it's an incredibly incredibly small sample size we're obviously in this space with pock dog so i kind of understand what that means and i'm sure lots of people listening understand what that means but is there a way for you to kind of quantify that for people that might not understand how how small two and a half microliters actually is yeah, I mean, it is a very small sample. So so for our HIV self-test, we use a paediatric gauge lancet. So it's a very, very fine gauge, a shallow um, kind of slash to the skin. Right. Um, and when you form a very small drop of blood, that's about five microliters. So it's wow. half a small drop of blood, yeah, that's which incredible. just sits on your fingertip, yeah. Okay, wow. Mm. Um, and so when was there an appetite at the time for from healthcare organizations from the government from regulators to to see an HIV self test or was this something that was was not welcomed or how did you start to navigate that <laughs> with great difficulty so I have a genius uh, clinical and regulatory director so we we initially approached the MHRA um, saying look this is what we want to do how do we do this and we drew a bit of a blank Please note that all information and content on UK Health Radio and our blog are provided by the authors, no producers and company. Um, there was no European kind of governance on this. It had been devolved to country level. So uh, we discussed with various notified bodies, um, eventually settled with BSI, who's the British Standards Institute. And we kind of worked through 
what the specification would look like, what the protocol would look like. And um, yeah, through performing kind of all of our evaluations in the UK, a lot of which were around usability of the test. So we had to prove that um, an untrained user, a test naive user, would be able to not only perform their test themselves accurately, but they would also be able to read their result and interpret their result for what that means. So there was there was risk. I mean, when we when we came to market in 2015, we were the highest risk device that had ever really come to market. And it, obviously HIV and blood-based and an untrained user. Mm. Um, yeah, so we were under masses of of scrutiny. But we've we've I mean since the outset been ultra passionate about what we do so we've gone above and beyond what was required for signposting for customer support um you know for our post-market surveillance um capture mechanisms and data so we've tried to do it with bells on set the bar very high well it's yeah it looks like you have and what <laughs> what kind of i mean did anyone try and sort of really i guess obviously the sensitivities around any kind of, of self-testing are, are quite high, but irrespective of what you're testing for, because if you get it wrong, then whichever way you get it wrong, whether it's a false positive or false negative, there's, there's risk. Um, and that is what the device regulations, that's what the regulators are trying to, to exclude. And that's why they make people do all of the technical dossiers and they do all of the usability trials because it's really about, about risk. Um, so, once you'd done all of that, was it? Was it? Did you feel like you had enough support from the regulators, or were you like the canary in the coal mine that was trying to kind of get them to to, to sort of get with the self testing program a bit? Or was there, a, you know, do you know? Do you see what I mean? What What was? Yeah, the kind of- no, I, I understand, and I think, yeah, I think certainly the latter of the two. I mean, obviously, a regulator's job is to make sure that only uh, uh, an from a self-testing perspective, let alone any other test, but something that's highly usable and highly accurate can come onto the market. And there is there's behavioural risks, um, as I say, of someone actually interpreting their own results and what that means. But, I mean, people have always asked um, outside of the regulators, you know, well, what happens with false positives and they must be awful and someone's at home and they, you know, they've, they've got a positive HIV um, result. But the the global testing algorithm for HIV is that any positive HIV test is confirmed by a different type of technology. So some countries use two, some some use three. Um, The real risk is in a false negative. So for a false negative... So false negative means you get the all clear, but you actually have the disease. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's the specificity. How How many, you know, not getting false negatives. And obviously from an HIV perspective, if somebody got a negative result but actually did have HIV infection, they might never test again. They certainly wouldn't seek treatment. They could unknowingly transmit. On. Yeah. yeah. So it's the false negatives for us that is is you know was the real the real risk that we had to mitigate. Okay. And what? How does the test perform on the specificity sensitivity, which is the false positive, false negative piece? What's the yeah? Um, So, so from a from a sensitivity perspective of how many times um, we wouldn't get a false positive, that's about two in a thousand, something around that statistically. But a false negative is less than one in a thousand. Wow. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's highly accurate to to gain for an HIV to uh, test to gain any CE marking. It has to be more than nine. 
99.5% accurate. That's the, that's the right. rules. That's the golden, the golden rule. And I think just as I'm kind of, you know, for people, for people listening to understand that as a benchmark, the government was, was set for, for antibody testing. And I, I think for antigen, I'm not sure for COVID because obviously now everyone, the, the concept of rapid testing and lateral flow and things like that has now entered mm. the general parlance of, of, of the society of society. They, they sort of set like 97, 98%. So the, the, what you're saying is actually for HIV testing, the bar is even higher um, yes. for that. Okay. And um, mm. when you, did you actually have any kind of, cause the idea with self-testing is that you can sell it directly to the consumer or that the consumer can get it directly themselves. So they can, if they have a concern, if they want to take control of their health, and this is why we founded PocDoc as well from pre- preventative disease, cardiovascular type two diabetes, but where people would want to try and take more care of themselves, they could go and get a test however they wanted to do it. And so was, sorry, was, was that, was that something that like when you started it, had you thought about how to get the tests out to the people that would want them or need them? Yeah, I mean, obviously it was totally novel at the time that, that we bought our, our Biosure tests to market. So there was no appetite from government um, and not really in healthcare. We have seen that change over our sort of five years um, in the market. So direct to consumer was was always going to be our primary route to market and uh, i mean we we have our own um website so so consumers can buy directly from us we sell on amazon we sell in boots and superdrug and lloyds and all of the key uh, well pharmacy all of the key um retail pharmacy retailers in the uk but getting that message out in the first place and then convincing someone to spend their money and test themselves on their own terms was a feat in itself. And we've, we've mm. invested heavily in masses of education. There's lots of signposting information that goes with the test about what your result means, um, how treatable HIV is. But we, I mean, we've faced, we've faced issues and they're still ongoing with Google where right. we have, yeah. <laughs> I know Google, good old Google. Um, So we um, are in the same classification as guns and and things like that. That makes sense. That seems to make a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, I think I think five years ago or six years ago, when when it was illegal, then then fair enough. But that that view hasn't changed. It's still their policy, apart from in the USA, I have to say. Okay. So so we have a fully certified product, um, but we're not allowed to sell it on shopping. We get blocked all the time visibility um, because it's an HIV test. But but you've had pickup with it. It's in Superdrug. It's in Boots from time to time. You like and you've expanded in Sub-Saharan Africa as well, which I would imagine is a real. Is, is the attitude down there different? Because didn't 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 I see somewhere that you actually have vending machines in South Africa yes. that sell yeah, well, HIV <clears> tests <throat> through a vending machine? And we've got some in the UK. So that's been developed with PHE and the NHS and the Martin Fisher Foundation. So, um, yeah, putting vending machines into um, high risk kind of places. So some of them are in sex on premises venues. Um, we've seen uptake uh, in, you know, 50 percent plus of people who've never tested for HIV before and they're an at risk um, um, population. But whichever markets um, we're in, so South Africa was our second second territory we have gone to market as a consumer product right. which is fun which is well, it fun. Gives you, I, I, I mean yeah. there's an element where it gives you more control of your own destiny but it's hard 
It is. And but what it has enabled us to do is build real solid communities because obviously there's so much stigma around HIV. And we took the stance right from the beginning that we were just never going to discuss it because as soon as soon as you discuss stigma, it's in the room and suddenly there's either anxiety, <clears throat> excuse me, or pity or fear, all negative emotions. So right. we have maintained a really positive um take control is in your power this is a choice for you um to know your own status on your own terms but if and i you know not that i spend a huge amount of time following bioshore on instagram <gasps> like if you yeah i know shocking sorry um but yeah you can unfollow me now if you want to the um the the but you can see from reading the 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 comments and and the kind of what people are saying about your tests within particularly within the gay community that this is seen as a an a, well a very positive thing i mean it, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like there's much controversy from it in in that respect so it seems like you know it's certainly been accepted in in some areas yeah i mean we've worked really hard to overcome that and when you just think about everybody's kind of pace of life now and again coming back to pregnancy testing if a woman thought she was might be pregnant um first of all she's got time off work assuming you go to work you've got to get to a healthcare facility park wait in the queue explain why you're there mm. do your sample wait two or three days for a result um and then you know have some counseling around it and it's you know i people say that pregnancy is nothing like hiv but it, it is absolutely life-changing for a woman whether she wants to be pregnant whether she doesn't want to be pregnant the emotions so it's the same everyone's life is very fast no one has any time to do things even that they meant to do so the more convenient we can make this and we always say we're another choice there are always um, sexual health clinics we work closely with with most of the nhs um, sexual health it's another choice and it allows people to test themselves frequently on their own terms yeah i mean it it seems to make sense for me to that if someone would want to get tested for something that they would be able to do that in a way that they would want. And, you know, they wouldn't have to go and queue up at a, at a clinic. And actually now, if you, you know, I've read recently that, that a lot of the funding's being cut for sexual health clinics, particularly in, in London and some of the major centers. So it might become more difficult actually to get to see, see doctors and things like that. Yeah, I mean the the fund the funding has changed, and that a lot lots of places now you can't have an HIV test unless you're within a certain age group or a certain right? demographic. Yeah, wow. But, but during lockdown, obviously the clinics have been closed. Oh, wow. or certainly certainly in the March lockdown, so right. uh, lockdown number one. Yeah. So we've we've worked with with trust across the country, supplying through the NHS um, our right. tests to end users who can't get tested in clinic. Right, because you could just send them straight to their houses. Yeah, absolutely. They fit through your letter box no one knows what it is so <laughs> really straightforward so um so i want to kind of move on slightly now and i think it would be helpful because you and i have talked about this a lot but the difference between and why there's a difference between self-testing and how how that is viewed from governments regulators and so on and like testing in a professional setting because obviously that within the discussion now in society there's a lot of discussion around rapid antigen tests rapid antibody tests can they be done professionally can you do them at home this that and the other so there's sort of a, a much higher awareness of rapid testing which is great you know it seems like people are much more open to being tested and to, to accepting testing within what they do on a day-to-day -day basis i admit that like it might be forced upon people 
um, a little bit, but but there's there's still a massive difference. Um, and this will take us, I think, onto what you've been doing in COVID. But just to set the scene, why is there such a difference between self-testing and testing in a professional setting? Well, I mean, from a regulatory perspective, it is absolutely enormous. It's like chalk and cheese. So when we're looking at COVID testing, for having um, a CE mark for a professional used COVID test, whether that's antibody or antigen, that goes through a process which is called self-certified. So there's a, a technical specification that as a manufacturer, you go against the checklist so you conform and you basically self-certify your test for professional use. And the reason for professional use is that that professional user should have experience and an understanding of what a test is. So basically, you know, it kind of offloads a huge amount of the risk onto the healthcare professional. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, reading the result is one of the performing the test and reading the result are two separate things. So um, certainly in the world of COVID, where there's, a, you know, can be a huge variance in the strength of the result, um, then then you need a professional user to make sure they're reading even a faint positive mm. for self-testing there has to be a full ce mark from a notified body so that means performing evaluations uh, user evaluations complete compiling a full technical um, dossier for that to be independently audited but, yeah and just again you you also need to have i mean to try and like quantify this we're talking about thousands and thousands of pages of documents Oh, yes. Yeah. Plus, plus audits, on-site audits, potentially multiple audits, which just what you're saying just doesn't happen with the professional health. No, no, it no, doesn't. doesn't and um, no, I mean, there is certainly a much greater awareness in obviously because of mainstream media. Um, but I mean, it, it's becoming really apparent now in the general marketplace that there are so many tests that are being sold by so many people. You don't know their provenance. Um, <clears throat> they're all saying they're CE marked, which they are because they're self-certified. But I think as, as a user, you have to, really understand the test that you're you're buying and using yeah and i think that what's i think obviously the the eu have have noticed this because they're actually changing the regulations i think they're closing this professional health user piece yeah it really it should be closed as well it's dangerous i think okay and so what 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 at what point did you realize that your technology um your proprietary technology could be applied to covid either antibody or antigen because you were in pretty early i mean you called this pretty early so we, we we started working with you guys back in april and you were already you know more than at the races on this so when did it sort of start for you yeah i mean um we we're, we're still a tiny company we, we punch well above our weight and i oh, think one of, <laughs> well one of the reasons is we have always collaborated with anyone who wants to collaborate with us whether that's in development or or sales or you know marketing uh, it, it suits our personality it's our kind of ethos so um we already had existing relationships in obviously in the uk as we're based here um but with MoLogic, who are a real kind of leading yeah. light in the r d yeah, awesome. um yeah space um yeah we we got together they love the idea of self-testing we obviously love the idea of self-testing they're amazing on the science side of things so um yeah that's how that's how that came together and super quickly it was it was using the hiv 
barrel device, yeah. but with a swapped out, um, well, what do you call it, test strip? Yeah, the, the, potato, yeah the, the, the strip that's inside. So in, basically, instead of looking for antibodies to HIV, we were looking for antibodies to COVID-19. Okay. And why, um, and when did you start, why did you start with antibodies? Is that because that was what the discussion was at the time? Yeah. I mean, there, there's still, there is, and we, I mean, it was really obviously, and so the, so, I mean, I'm sure most people will know this, but for, from the difference, the antigen tests are the tests that tell you if you have current infection, yeah. antibody tests tell you if you have had it and it's the yeah. antibodies that provide you with protection against reinfection. So, yes. um, which, is I a, think, which is a which is a big subject of debate in and of itself, which we can. I know, I know. Um, yeah, we were, we, <laughs> but we were in, as you say, we were in super early. This yeah. this all this all kicked off at the beginning of March. Yeah. Um, and at the time, um, nobody knew about how the immunity would work, and they, to be honest, there's still no statement yeah. on it at the moment. But um, while we were doing the, the product development and obviously we were, this was happening during lockdown one, we only had access to um, UK samples and we had members of the public giving us their blood, literally. Yeah, weren't you sending bikes around doing, collecting, you know, blood uh, stuff? Yes, yeah, we were. And we had big social media campaigns. Yeah. We couldn't we couldn't get samples um, from PHE or Department of Health. So, um, but we were testing people. So people, some people have been hospitalised, some people have just had it at home and we were, we were using their blood on an ongoing yeah. basis. And after after about eight weeks, we started seeing the antibodies dropping off. Yeah. And it's like, wow, is this an unintended consequence of mm. um, of lockdown? You know, people's immune systems are just, you know, not not being fired up. Yeah. Um, but it's turned out it's, it's the same. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, the antibodies are, are not retained. Well, when we started um, doing all of the PocDoc screening in July, we had a huge number of people when, when we did the, the, the POCDOC COVID-19 screening when we started in July. We had a huge number of people that said that had negative antibody tests because at the time, I mean, there was there was only the only rapid tests that, that were available were antibody tests. Right. Mm. There wasn't there wasn't a rapid antigen test available. No. So we, we were doing, as you know, doing this rapid antibody test. And there was a huge number of people that had all of the COVID symptoms um, in March. And when we started testing in July, had no antibodies whatsoever. Um, and it happened way, way too many times for it to have just been a, a cold or a flu. It was pretty clear that, you know, the, the, the COVID-19 was, was far more widespread in March due to the lower level of testing than anyone realised. But the antibodies weren't staying around for as long as people thought that they might. Yeah, and I think, I mean, obviously, as I said, we, we're consumer-facing. I think there's been massive frustration um, in people not being able to access what their kind of antibody status is. So there, there's far more testing being done now. But in March, nobody, um, there were, as you say, there were no tests. There were a handful of PCR tests being done. So people didn't know if they had had um, COVID infection or not yeah. and even now uh, I mean our, our discussion has always been if you've had an, uh, uh, an immune response if you've produced antibodies to a COVID-19 infection um, we think that that should trigger kind of you know a, a t-cell memory the same yeah. way that the vaccine would but the the science has still got to be played out on that part yeah yeah um, so yeah I, I've never I didn't really understand the, the pushback because there was a lot of pushback on 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 your on the antibody particularly on the self test um, which maybe you can kind of go into but I, I just never understood why th there was a problem with people knowing if they've had the 
disease or not? Why was it okay for somebody to pay 200 pounds, which is what they were going for, to a, to have a lab antibody test? Why was that okay? But it's not okay for someone just to do a simple self-test and find out themselves. I just completely didn't understand that at all. Still don't. No, it's a, no another do we, to be honest. But it, it wasn't dissimilar to how HIV um, self-testing was, was approached. I think the regulators, certainly in the UK, the MHRA, have been very worried about the behavioural aspect um, of what people will do by knowing their antibody um, status. Would they still follow the, follow the guidelines? Would they take more risk? Yeah. Um, again, one of our arguments in, in, at the beginning with the HIV test is it was about behaviour and what would someone do if they found out they were positive and they didn't seek treatment. 99% of people plus are negative. Let's worry about the masses. Let's worry about the big numbers. Um, and then we'll focus on the, on the smaller numbers after. So worrying about the behavioural implications of someone having a positive antibody stated for COVID and would they take more risk outweighs the, you know, 99% of people who would have a negative antibody status and actually might yeah. take the guidance really seriously and think, right, okay, I need to make sure I am protected and practice social distancing and everything else. Yeah. And so why, um, and so from, from the, the, your first foray into COVID, which was the, was the barrel, which was the single antibody test, is that right? Yes. From there, then you moved on to a triple antibody and <clears throat> where are you? So why, what, what happened? Was that you driving that or was that the, the kind of development of the, of the science, so to speak? And what's the difference between a triple antibody and a single antibody? Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. It's definitely the progression um, of the science, and as I say, it, the, this is a um, the the science behind it is a myologic um, development. So the triple antibody test tests for three different types of antibodies, including what I think is unique uh, in that they detect IgA um, yeah. antibodies as well. So it detects your immune response as your body kind of progresses um, post infection. For self-testing, you have to make sure someone can read their own result and having a, a, a wide array of outcomes. So potentially there's four lines on that lateral flow strip to read yeah. in, in various combinations. So the IgG antibodies, which are the ones we detect, and also the antibodies that you will hopefully produce on the back of being vaccinated, um, means that there's a binary outcome. There's, there's a one line for a negative or a two lines for a positive. Right. So everybody can read it. Okay. And mm. do you think that there's a role, a renewed role? So the UK government sort of, they, they got behind antibody testing, but they wanted to do it. And then they sort of, they've kind of moved it off, I think, into the corner for some reason. So it's, it's not really because they're pushing the, the rapid antigen test, which does, does different things. Um, but do you think that, that with the vaccine rollout, do you think that there's a role for ongoing monitoring of antibody levels in order to um, assess whether people's immune response to the vaccine is is working, or do you think? Do, yeah, what's what do you, what's your view around yeah. antibody oh. tracking versus vaccine efficacy? Well, I mean, we've we've always taken the approach that a triangulated kind of testing program is needed because realistically, an antigen test that will tell you in your kind of first seven days of infection if you if you have infected, after the first seven days that that's that's negated and that test is no longer useful. So, mm. even for monitoring and surveillance aspect, either at a public health level or on a personal level, antibody testing has real relevance. Um, I mean, we 
deeply believe that people should have knowledge about their own health if they want it. Mm-hmm. And being able to understand what your body is doing and where you are in that journey, be it post-infection or post-vaccine, for us is a really important um you know tool to have in the armory plus uh, as a, from a surveillance perspective i mean working with the pockdoc app um, <laughs> yeah. as i hasten to add no it does give you um certainly on a personal level that that you know that journey of what your body is doing yeah so um yeah for, for me knowledge is always power i i hate ignorance and i hate anything i don't understand so um the more information and knowledge i can have at a macro and a micro level is important to me yeah. at least. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Um, I think that we, you know, the, the, our view is, is the same um, in our company, which is that, that people can make choices, but they need to have data in order to make those choices in an informed way. And in the world that we live in now, with, with all of the things that we have on demand, delivery, we get Ubers, we do all of this stuff immediately. What, why is there still such a pushback about a self-test for, for, for antibodies or for, for whatever it is? Or why is it so complicated like in our space where why is there no self-test for uh, quantity, smartphone self-test for cardiovascular disease or type 2 diabetes or any of those kind of things? Um, so we, we believe firmly that people can only make positive changes in their lifestyle when they have a good baseline to understand where they stand right now. And yes, people can go to the doctors if you can get an appointment, which is totally fine. But obviously now in a post-COVID world, it's becoming, I mean, there's been a lot written about how it's going to become more difficult for people to go to GPs, even if you've been diagnosed with a chronic condition like cardiovascular disease or type 2 diabetes, actually going there for your ongoing monitoring, your ongoing blood tests, um, for that is going to become more difficult. And it will be the same way for a range of things. Like you said, the sexual health clinics are shut down because of the pandemic. Who knows whether they're going to reopen or when they might reopen or whether their funding might be cut. So I think, and I'm pretty sure you feel the same way, is that the need for whether it's called self-testing or whether it's called remote testing or home testing or whatever the name is, that there has to be an acceleration in um, a decentralization of testing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big change, I think, from the current landscape. So at the moment, it is very um, centralised. <clears throat> but there's there's a clinical bottleneck, and it's not only UK-based, that's global. There are not enough healthcare appointments for individuals. So uh, from, from a resourcing perspective, I've never quite understood why screening negative people needs a healthcare intervention right um it's it's a waste of resource and the i do and as you just said these kind of empowered choices the more someone is allowed to have responsibility the more responsibility they assume so yeah it's a positive cycle but the more you treat them like a child then the more that they will sort of um yeah, it's that, it's that sort of mentality. Well, you know, the doctor didn't tell me to do it, so I'm not going to do it. Or, you know, but you you end up, you know, maybe you didn't ask the right question to the doctor. So the doctor didn't tell you what you thought you might want to know. So, yeah, I completely agree. Mm, and you feel disempowered, I think, sometimes. It doesn't quite belong to you. You go through a doctor and I know that even you know trying trying to see a, a doctor or a dentist during this, this pandemic even if you mean to you just don't get around to it it's too long and it's too involved and and, and, and so and, I do think there'll be a change yeah and I think with with GPs and frontline staff they're under so much pressure and they have so many problems to deal with uh, it, it, the, the certainly in the preventative health space you know 
trying to take some of their time in order to do ongoing health-related screenings, it, it seems may, there must be a better way that they yeah. can use their time to focus on other really critical things. And this ongoing monitoring can take place in a decentralized remote way. So that's what we're, what, that's what we're pushing with forward with, with PogDoc. So I think yeah. that it's the uh, same way. So on the self-testing things, I know that now you're, you're moving on with something that could be an, the game changer, which is an antigen self-test. Yes. So let, let just why why given now that the government is rolling out rapid tests in I mean seemingly everywhere and every poor school child will have to be swabbed three or four times a day before they can go back into the classroom and all this type of stuff. What is why is a self test or why would be a self test why would a self test antigen test be such a game changer? Well, obviously, the, just the, the whole self-administration side of things opens up that kind of, as I say, bottleneck of testing. Um, <clears throat> with our with the self-test we're working on, again, collaborating, um, there are some real massive differences, though, to any other test that's in the market. So, first of all, it's saliva-based. Right. So, no nasal pharyngeal no or, or no deep that's throat huge. swabbing. It's massive. massive. It's hugely usable. But not, not only that, it looks for a different. So antigen tests work by looking for a type of protein. And all of the tests that I've seen, and I'll caveat this in that I haven't seen every test on the planet, um, are based on nucleocapsid um, yeah. proteins. So the, the technology that's being used in our antigen self-test actually looks for the spike protein. So everyone knows now what the what the kind of, um, you know, SARS-CoV-2 yeah, virus yeah. The virus on the news every day, right? It's the bubbly yeah. one with the red. Yeah, exactly. So everyone knows that now. So, so the the test um, technology that we're using looks for that particular spike protein. So that is only there when the virus is alive and when a person is infectious. So it is a true infectivity test. So it's in theory, phenomenal. It, mean, it means that people won't be there. Won't be any false positives. Right. In the no. sense that it won't just be dead fragments of virus that happen to be in your nose. It will be you if it tests positive, you definitely have the virus and the virus yeah. is live. OK. Yeah. And, and it's easy to use and gives you a result in 15 minutes. So what's right. not to like? Amazing. <laughs> and what's the difference between it being administered in a professional setting versus a self-test? Because I, I think I, I think I'm with you. So, for, I'm not sure if you saw, but there was a big story last week in the Times, where um, the MRHA have blocked Boris's plan to send um, the existing rapid antigen tests that are not approved for self-test to millions and millions and millions of people's homes and ask them to self-test. Uh, yeah. And they blocked it because previously, as we talked about, those tests have not been through the additional scrutiny, the additional regulatory pathway that would be required. So quite rightly, the MRHA blocked them. But you're going through that pathway. You're going through that pain and suffering. And so why do you think that that really is um, valuable? Well, with, with all of the tests, and this includes ours, um, the, the control line, so the, the line that comes up on the test for the negative result is called a procedural control line. So okay. basically any putting the buffer solution onto the strip will make that negative line um, appear. So the critical part is the sampling side of things and doing a nasopharyngeal swab 
on yourself is pretty much impossible. So you'll have yeah. someone not taking the sample correctly, running the test, getting a clear negative result because they've not done the swabbing properly and therefore, you know, this behavioural piece coming back in. So with our test, which is, as I say, a saliva test, um, the, the swab works as a lollipop, so it's just on your tongue. There's a, an integrated colour change so that okay. you know that the sample's there. Um, it's all very straightforward and easy to use. But we have to build out our technical file and all of our evidence and usability. You love it. You love all those technical files, the thousands and thousands of documents, the QMS audits, yeah, quality yeah. management system. Yeah. Um, but so for, for me, from what you know, I know that we, we, we work on this as well with you, which is great. The I've always struggled slightly with this concept of, you know, it's all well and good putting a thousand people or two thousand people in Wembley to watch a game you know that's all mm. fine and well and good but if you're looking to get 90,000 people in within a, a number of hours h- how you do that without a self-test antigen test that can be given to people prior and or who could do it on, on their way to the game or at the home and they upload their results through an app potentially the Pockdoc app although other <laughs> apps may be available um the the you know i don't understand how you can have probably thousands of healthcare professionals testing 90,000 people at the game, at the, at the gate. I, I, I find that quite hard to believe. What do you think? No, I mean, I, I think self-testing is probably the only solution for events, uh, for hospitality, for aviation and, and travel. I mean, there are foibles in there where, I mean, obviously one of the questions that we're asked when we're, we're going into these situations and trying to, sort of help with finding a solution is how do you know if the person has done the test themselves so there are the you know how we've worked with the app there is there is an image um, recognition in there there is id recognition there is a time window from when you start the test when you have to upload your results so you can't nip out and get another one um yeah so there's lots around it but even if let's just say for an event they they did think that that was too big a risk to take having someone able to self-test means that you can have thousands of people testing simultaneously and uploading Mm. their results in front of people so I mean, it has to be that self-testing um, is the way forward, but it's it's a big amount for um, yeah the professional test users to let go of. I have to. Oh, say. you think that there might be uh, some resistance from the the incumbents? Yeah, I think I think that I think there could be. Um, there is certainly a strong appetite for this in the US um, right. at the moment. They are really gung ho on self testing, whereas I think in the UK we're using much more caution um, to wait and kind of see what happens. And yeah. okay, um, well, let's talk about something other than COVID, shall we, for a minute? Is there something else? I know, I know, it feels <laughs> that way, doesn't it? It's like there hasn't been anything else for a while. Um, I know. So. You describe yourself on Instagram as a CEO. And oh. so, yeah. So is what's your view around the um, gender equality or lack thereof within the health tech healthcare industry? I find it phenomenal. I mean, I come from from quite a male kind of industry, a male-based industry background, but I do find it incredible how few women are in this space. I regularly go to big meetings and I'm the only woman um, there. So that's where mm. the CEO came in. I thought, who yeah. wants to be? I like it. I think it's, it's, it makes me laugh. And it's should try and trademark it. I've trademarked it. I've, I've done everything with it. That's my future. My CEO yeah. badge is, is my future. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's ended up at Bioshore just by chance 
and the same in South Africa and the same in Brazil, that we are virtually all female yeah. um, and all quite alpha female. So, um, yeah, I just, f- for me, I mean, there, there is no discrimination that we don't employ men, but obviously. <laughs> <They're> just, they <laughs> obviously. Are, I, I can testify I have been allowed on the premises. And yes. And, yeah. And, um, yeah. 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 I, I don't, I mean. And, and everything. I even got a cup of tea. Yeah, you think, well, very good coffee we do here. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's that women, um, obviously, with having career breaks to have children, just don't come back into the arena because it is hard going, I have to say. there is There is rarely a day that is straightforward and thank heavens I'm I'm very focused on the side of things that I like which is you know kind of bringing products to market and trying to convince people that they're a good idea and to buy them but um yeah there's very few women in this space what do you think can be done about that if anything what's your thought yeah um i i I mean i think that there are lots of um organizations and support networks um to try and encourage kind of you know a positive discrimination to encourage women into this um sector but i think it's the same across engineering and um yeah it it definitely does need uh, a more female approach to it it's a very it is a very male driven psyche i think in this in this particular sector and do you think um, that that's on the on the actual you know because on this really hardcore sciencey end or is it more on the kind of startup health digital healthcare or is it just all across do you think it's the same sort of trend certainly in the more established i would say that there is more male dominated i've i've worked with a few women in startups i mean i've never particularly thought about being female i have to say yeah. uh, or or you know being female or being a male in a particular um environment but i think in the startup uh, world now there are more women um coming through it's that self-belief isn't it i mean we we work with programs in in africa that are really like she conquers and you know um you know every every girl matters and all of these such things where you you have to believe that you can do it but you you've you've got to be quite um blinkered i think and just driven to to push forwards and ignore what's ever on the peripheries okay wow Mm. um yeah i mean my co-founder is um is, is female and so i know that she's felt similar things around the um the maleness of the industry but it's- yeah you, you don't realize it until you're in an in a room or at an event and you realize that there are really hardly any any women um in involved in the sector at all yeah it's, it's bizarre you're like the, the queen of healthcare <laughs> I think it's helped raise our profile somewhat <laughs> okay and so um, You've got the you've got antibody testing is rolling out. You've got HIV testing, which I'm, is carrying on not just here but sub-Saharan Africa as well. What and you've got the antigen self-test. Is there anything else you're going to add onto the plate? Like, what does the kind of the future look like? The next twelve to twenty-four months, do you think? Well, we're we're really looking <laughs> intensely at the US um, market at the moment because we've had so much recently. It's, it's been driven by the market there. We've had so much interest and i think um because there are so many 
rubbish tests around um, finding something that has a good provenance and is usable and has credibility um, you know ha- has created quite a quite a demand so yeah looking at the US and the US consumer market for me is is yeah, really I can imagine you find that interesting. yeah really interesting so yes we're, we're waiting to kind of move forward um, in that direction at the moment but I mean every day is um, it's just like riding a roller coaster really I've, I've I'm so full I've always felt blessed that I kind of landed into this and we have a business that has real tangible social impact we we have emails or social media uh, contacts or whatsapp contacts every day from people either telling us about their fears or saying thank you or it's so human um what we do we're not just kind of locked inside four walls just sending a commodity out so um i think us continuing the educational um journey and as i say we've, we've worked really hard on that and we we do collaborate across the board with as, in as many countries as we can kind of get to educating about HIV. And I think that's going to continue with, with COVID because we're inundated um, with questions and we're not even truly live yet with kind of the website and um, the comms, you know, that are, that are all planned and in the pipeline. Right. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, that is very exciting. And are you going to add any more things to test or are you going to stick with HIV and COVID or are you looking at anything else? No, know, we've like, got, we've got, yeah. <laughs> we've got, got quite a lot going on. Uh, I think this year now, thank goodness, is out of the way. We, we've always had sort of quite a big um, pipeline planned behind us. So we, we mm. definitely have applications in other disease testing and, and I, I love the sexual health um, arena for the impact um, that we can the make. The human so, impact, you mean the, the yeah. you know, human impact? Yeah, and I, I like, um, it's not all about me, but I like being involved in that sector and um, it's, it's a fun area to, to deal with. So there will be more tests coming. Goodness okay. knows when there's going to be time to, to do yeah. them. Yeah. But, uh, are you, are yeah. you hiring people like crazy to build the, to build the team? Or is it quite yes, hard? well, um, a bit of both, really. We, we've kept quite nimble um, internally as a team here, just so, so that we can manage our overheads as much as anything. But through mm-hmm. the sort of collaboration and working with third parties, we're geared and ready to press the button cool. any day, hopefully. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think this will probably be my final question, because I think we've got to like wrap up in a second, oh, in a couple of minutes. Quick. But um, what do you, you know, taking a step back, Looking back over the last, you know, six to, to nine months, how do you feel like the relationship between the private enterprise and governments and regulators has been in managing the pandemic? Obviously, I know that your area is around the diagnostics, but, you know, because it's been, I mean, for me, the lines have been blurred on so many different occasions as to whether it's private enterprise that's driving innovation, is it government's driving innovation, is it who's directing what? So what? where do you sort of stand on that? Yeah, that's a bit of a loaded question. I think um, <laughs> I think it's I think it's been split into two halves. And if you were not on the or if you are not on the inside of the kind of Department of Health bubble then it's really really hard to break through that we could have bought our um, COVID antibody self-test to market through the Department of Health in June and we literally the door was just 
closed in our face despite many, many, many attempts of, of did, reopening did you, it. Did you get any explanation for that or was it just you couldn't get an answer? Being- uh, we got a really shoddy explanation in a tiny letter um, at the end of October. So I think it has closed down a lot of um, areas that could have been really helpful. Um, there are companies who had really strong expertise in diagnostics, in PPE that weren't utilised. But I think this is all public domain now. And I don't want to moan because no, we are I wasn't, to make wasn't the solution. To, no, no, that, no, no, I no, no, have to be careful. That wasn't intended to get you onto a moaning kind of track. It was more, you know, because I feel like the what's been really interesting, I think in a really good way about the pandemic is from a health tech perspective is that so much resource has been thrown at such a narrow range of problems. Yeah. So much. Um, but then the question is whether or not that resource is being directed by people who really are trying to foster the innovation and see where the innovation ends up or whether there's a kind of a pre-existing sort of motive or agenda there as well. Um, so yeah, I just thought I would try and get your. Well, I'm going to say a little bit tight-lipped, but um, yes, let, let's see how Let, it comes just, the next few months. So on a, another, another random question: if you, if there was the same amount of resources thrown at um, the COVID vaccine as there was, for example, with an HIV vaccine, do you think, with your expertise in that area, do you think that that would be something where we could get to, or are we still? Is that still quite a long way off? Well, there's been years and years of funding and resource thrown at HIV um, vaccination and some huge programmes. I mean, thank goodness there is PrEP. Um, so that's yes. the prophylactic uh, that you can take before. So we've made a big step forward. We should have talked about HIV on the global arena. Forgot I uh, want to throw that in. Next time, what, you'll have what, to have me back. On, you can't do that. We let, what, just, I think oh. we've got, what, go on. A little, what, what, what do you mean? Yeah, no, just just the impact that COVID's had on the HIV landscape and how rates are going back up and treatments aren't available and tests wow. aren't being rolled out. But that wow. that will be a conversation well, for twenty one. You can, come, you'll have you can come back, back another time and talk to us about yeah. that. Sure. Yeah, no, I would really love to. But yeah, I think um, it's going to be interesting to see how the next six months pan out. I think in this this landscape. Um, yeah. yeah, slightly survivor of the fittest. So, yeah, let's just keep, you know, let's well, just keep, keep on keeping on. on. Each day, yeah, each day. yeah, yeah. You know. We do say, we do say here as the door closes, we'll climb through a window. So, <laughs> no, it's <laughs> not behavior. Yeah, Come it's not behavior. We're changing. Yeah, right. it's just exhausting. That's all. Okay. But thank goodness cool. 2020 is over. Yeah, roll on 2021 for sure. Yeah. It's going yeah. to be an exciting year for everyone. I think so. I think so. And it has to be a more, hopefully, please God, a more straightforward year than this year. Good. Well, look, first yeah. of all, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show and Amazing. being my first guest. Thank you. Um, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you and get the full mm-hmm. story about BioSure and how you shook up the world of HIV and are now shaking up the world of COVID. And I really, really, really hope that you. Um, can bring all of these amazing COVID antigen self-tests to market. Thank you very much. I'm just thrilled that you've you've, um, chosen me. So thank you, Steve. And I wish you all the best. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. To the extent that we all can have a Christmas. Merry Christmas. Do you like my, do you like my lights? You radio. I've got whole lights around my setup here. (laughs) Very nice. Very festive. Very festive. Yeah. Well, have a, have a lovely Christmas and um, best wishes to everyone who's listening and um, yeah, take care and stay safe, I guess. Good. Well, look, thanks. And just before we go, I just want to say that my next show is a week today. So it's Tuesday at 1 p.m. And we'll be talking to Peter Cowley, who is one of the most prolific 
angel and early stage investors and entrepreneurs in the UK. He's head of the Cambridge Angels, head of a whole bunch of other angel networks and has made a huge number of investments in the health tech space. And he will be talking to us about all of his experience in health tech and then we'll be very excited to talk to him. Anyway, happy Christmas, everyone.